Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Ryan Bennett, Nazi Canuck, living in the Central Coast, Australia. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome, folks, to the Tennis Podcast, introduced this week by, as you heard there, Ryan Bennett, an Aussie Canuck in Australia. Is he Australian? Is he Canadian? Who can say? Apparently not even Ryan, but those are two uh, excellent countries, uh, both tennis hosting countries. I visited them both on several occasions and enjoyed them both very much indeed. David, how are you doing? I'm very much okay because Solihull has decided to to give us just a little bit of sunshine just for the back end of uh, of can I call it even summer? I can't really. It's autumn now, isn't it? It's fall, as the Americans like to say. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm all right. Thank you, Matt. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, at my at my seaside retreat this weekend, also known as my parents. And it's been it's been lovely here too. We, after twelve long days, folks, have finally <laughs> reached the end of the ATP Masters One Thousand event in Shanghai, uh, and that also means that we are finally back into a normal ATP timetable in terms of tournaments starting at the beginning of the week and ending at the end of the week. And can I have an alleluia for that, please? Because I was <laughs> I, I, at no point in the last month of that situation did I ever really get a handle on it. Um, full disclosure, I never really got a handle on Shanghai, on the cadence of that tournament, on what matches were happening when, on what stage of the event we were at and... You know, as seems to happen with these extended 1000 events, it's sort of it's 12 days long. That seems to be long enough for for a, a, a nicely paced schedule. And yet suddenly at the end of the tournament, you end up with players playing three days in a row. And you're like, no, we, we're, what are we doing here, tennis? Um, I've had a lot of what are we doing here, tennis moments over the last 12 days. But I... I know that David and Matt, you feel rather more positively about Shanghai because you you're both morning tennis watchers. I think a lot of my grumpiness comes from the fact that 
I don't like mornings. I like to watch my tennis in the evenings. Uh, I'd rather stay up in, uh, and watch in the middle of the night than have it be happening at 7am, quite frankly. But don't worry, folks. We've got it covered because David Law doesn't sleep. <laughs> I certainly sleep at different hours to you most of the time. Um, and uh, listen, I... I, I was okay with it, actually, even though it was all a bit strange with the, the Beijing women's tournament and several of the others finishing midweek, which is really strange to, to, to what we're used to. But it was kind of useful for week one of Shanghai when you've got more going on. And you'd got a bit of action in the middle of the week while Shanghai sort of plod into some sort of momentum. And, and, and I actually quite enjoyed Shanghai, as you say, because... I get the kids off to school, start work, and I could put put it on, and I, I was I'd got it as company all day long, and there were there were lots of quite good matches, particularly early on. I I quite enjoyed quite a lot of the tennis. I think it's a, a good visual uh, experience to watch it. The colours of the court are good. You know, it, it's it's obviously it hasn't been there for for four years, so it's a, it's it's a big deal in that regard. When they got to the quarterfinals and played four quarterfinals over two days and you didn't have it was the first time we'd had a non-combined event played over this length of dis- of time i just thought come on this really added to the what you just said about three matches in three days at the end that that just really highlights a, a drawback of that system it, it just it was plodding along and and I'm sorry, it's just not big enough to my mind to to warrant that sort of separation. Matt, similar feelings? Yeah, very similar. It was what I feared would happen. You know, it's it's always quite difficult to know what a tournament will will look like when it's being played in this way for the first time. But in my mind, it was it was exactly like this, and that is and you know that is what happened. Just just you know days where you've only got just a couple of matches on court and that, that that's not what these these weeks are about you know for me anyway it should be about the buzz and you know there's always a good match on you know no matter where you look you know we had we had WTA events on this week as well so I would I would sometimes sort of hop over and and watch those you know that there were other options but it just didn't have the right feel for an event of of this size as 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 you said it just sort of plodded along um, there were some good matches which I enjoyed. Like David, I, I I quite like getting the tennis on in the in the morning and having having it on in the background when I'm doing some other work. Um, but yeah, not a not a vintage Masters one thousand, I don't think. Yeah, sorry, Hubert Hercatch, the champion that we're now going <laughs> to keep praise on. You have won a non-vintage <laughs> ATP Masters. 1,000 event. Congratulations to you. The the other one he won was non-vintage as well, wasn't it? It was a very mm. pandemic-y uh, Miami <laughs> Open. But uh, I'll hit you with the cliche. Let that take nothing away from <laughs> Hubert Herkatch, who is the champion. He beat Andre Rublev, who'd played some incredible tennis over the course of the, the 12 days. 6-3, 3-6, 7-6 in the final. As I say, second... Masters 1000 title en route to it. He beat Zhang Zhizhen, who who brought a lot of the vibes this week, I would say. Having a male Chinese player um, playing well at that tournament was was really helpful. Um, Fabian Marajan is apparently potentially back. <laughs> um, and he beat Sebastian Corder as well. Um, those wins all since we last recorded 
a week ago. Um, uh, we'll get on to some other results and stories from the week, but let's just stay with her catch for a moment. Is this the best you've both ever seen Hubert Hercatch play? And did we learn anything new about Hubert Hercatch this week, David? I can't say that it is the best I've seen him play. I think it's probably the joint best I've seen him play. I think he he did do incredibly well when he won that pandemic key uh, Masters 1000 a couple of years ago. and he taketh away. (laughs) Um, And I, I think... I think actually at times this year he's put together some really good performances either to be competitive with Djokovic at Wimbledon for for the, when he should have really won two of the two sets in that match um and yeah he he has got an incredible serve as a, as a basic weapon to his game a basic foundation and he backs it up with a really good ground game and and superb movement for somebody of his size I think that what I would say about this is I was really impressed that he fought his way to this title. You know, he he won two of those matches over three sets against Young, who's got the whole crowd behind him and has got who's got the vibe, as you say. There was a moment in that final set tiebreak. I think he was four three up her catch, and Arvin Palmer and Nick Lester were in commentary, and they just said, "Who who do you think is going to win this uh, at that point?" and both of them said her catch. It was kind of, and that was what I thought at the time, kind of just the experience is going to pay off here. And it, it feels like, and he didn't win, he didn't lose another point in the tiebreak. Um, and it just, Zhang has got all this pizzazz and he's exciting to watch. But her catch is quite good in those moments. You know, he, he fights a lot of three set matches, too, way too many, in my opinion. Uh, the same happened against Marijan. He's, the the opponent feels like the story in the moment. They are inducing the gasps from the crowd, and they're the ones making me want to go and watch it. I do not seek out Hubert Hercatch matches to go and watch unless he's at the tail end of tournaments like this, or unless he's playing somebody else good. I I know that sounds. Somebody was people will say, "Oh, you're so mean." I don't care. That's how he makes me feel. I don't get massively enthused watching him play. Um, but I am impressed with him. And when we got into the match against Corder, who's a similar build to him and a similar type of player, he routinely beat Seb Corder. And and that, that was impressive. And then he's playing Rublev, who's, I think, played... I think he has played some of the best tennis I've ever seen him play over the last week. And he had a match point, he had a championship point, Rublev, but Hercatch hung on and won that match and won that title. And totally deserved it i just feel for the next level he needs to stop having so many long matches he should be routinely beating a lot more people the way he did with seb corder in that semi-final so i don't feel like i've seen anything massively new but at the same time i did feel very impressed yeah it's a similar conversation with with her catch i think to the one we had the other week about the sort of zverev nishikori scale you know how how much is it impressive that they're winning these matches in in three sets versus how much should they actually be be trying to close these matches out sort of more straightforwardly and and routinely and i think inevitably i do i do fall on the side of yes it's impressive the way they they win so many tight matches but hook actually is is too good i think to be getting himself involved in all of these sorts of 
classics that David's describing. But um, yeah, he was very much in his element in that final when it went to a final set tie break because he just plays so many of them. And, and it did develop into a bit of a thriller towards the end with you know both having match points and both saving them. And I think the Hercax serve is, is an incredible weapon. They, they brought up a, a graphic on the screen after the end of the first set in that final where every single one of his first serves had been in what you would describe as the corner of the box. You know, not a single one had been in, in the middle area. So Rublev just couldn't get his, his racket on the ball. As soon as that dropped off in the second set and Rublev started to get himself into some rallies, it became a, a, a match that you felt like Rublev could win because he was just hitting the ball brilliantly from the baseline all week. But when Hercatch was finding that serve, it was it was very much on on his racket. And uh, yeah, look, I don't I don't think I learned anything new about about Hubert Hercatch either. But it's a it's a big deal for him to win this this tournament. You know, he's I think he's reached the final of a Masters one thousand event three years in a row now. He's won a couple of them. Like he's ticking the boxes at this level. The thing for Hubert Hercatch is his is his Grand Slam record. And I, d- I don't mean to sort of beat him with that now because it's not like there's a slam that he can just suddenly play but overall in the in the picture of his career that's the that's the element that is missing I feel like we knew he could do this at Masters 1000 level and it's it's great that he's that he's won another one you know there's plenty of players plenty of good players over the last few years who've who've only won one Masters 1000 title to get to get two is you know is impressive but I think if we're going to be learning something new about her catch over the next few years, it's it's going to have to come at the slams because he's got a really disappointing record in, in those tournaments compared to just how good he can be on the tour. Yeah, in terms of sort of learning something new about players, I, did, I didn't feel like that was the, the best I'd ever seen Hubert Hercatch play. I feel like... Um, yeah, he's an excellent player. We know that. I think about how he played against Carlos Alcaraz and earlier this year in Cincinnati, I think. Could have been Canada. I think it was Cincinnati. Um, probably should have won that match. Um, but I, I do think he lacks... I do think he perhaps deep down has a bit of an imposter syndrome against the very top players while he um, is excellent in the tight tight matches against players that are his peers or mm. lower because he's able to deploy that the muscle memory and the experience of being in so many tight tight matches conversely against the very very top players Djokovic at Wimbledon those tie breaks Alcaraz in Cincinnati there are other examples as well I feel like it goes the other way and something is just missing you, you don't back him in those moments but in terms of quality of tennis I think we've known that he's capable of this for for a while, and it's it's good to see him producing it. But as you say, Matt, the um, the test is going to be at the Grand Slams. Conversely, though, I do think this is the best that I've ever seen Andre Rublev play. I I don't know if that means anything in terms of changing the course of his career because I think he needs variety to be more of a challenge at the biggest events at the majors. There is a reason why he is butted up against this this quarterfinal glass ceiling. And it's not because his baseline game isn't excellent when it's on. It's because 
um, people can, you know, the best in the world can find the keys to unlock that and he's got nothing else to rely on. So I don't know if it means anything. You two can tell me different. But this is the best I've ever seen him play his game. Well, he didn't lose a set until that final. So that's eight out of eight. And he's beaten good players along the way. You know, he, he it was a really close first set against Dimitrov. He absolutely thrashed uh, Ugo Umber, who'd beaten him the week before. There was just a real conviction about the way he was striking the ball. Now, I mean, there often is, but it felt like he knew what he was doing with it. He, he imposed his sort of whiplash and uh, on-the-rise ground strokes more than normal. And and I also felt for the vast majority of the tournament, he controlled himself really well. I was, I thought we saw another great benefit of A, the courtside coaching from a, a player perspective and also from a viewer's perspective in that we heard what was being said to him. And I found it really insightful and, and enlightening to me as to what he's going through in the moment. There was a there was a, a moment, I think it's a, he was playing Dimitrov. It's tie break. He's already served for the set. It's two points all in the tie break. He turns around and it's Alberto Martin, the, the former player who's in his box, not who's sharing coaching duties these days with Fernando Vicente. And, and Rublev just goes, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And this is just two two points all in the tie break. It's not like it's going horribly wrong on the scoreboard, but that's what's in his head. And Martin goes, don't think, just believe. And I just thought, this guy is so calm, so calm in the way he's delivering very short messages that are trying to, they're trying to stop Rublev tying himself up in knots and just not worry about how you're going to do it. Just assume that it's going to be okay because you've got the game and you're, and his game is so muscle memory based. I don't think anybody hits the ball in quite the way that Rublev does, the, the, the way he refuses to back off. And he just, you know, I still think it has limits and sit in a ceiling, but he doesn't need to worry too much is what Martin's trying to get to him. And just to, because what ends up happening is he's, he almost beats himself because he gets so upset and, and he, and it, I, I feel terribly for, for Rublev, what he, what he's going through on the court. I also then hate to see what he ends up doing. I mean, he went ranted at a bunch of photographers on the court side in the final. When he lost, he had a championship point in this match. When he lost the match, he absolutely started smashing himself in the leg again with the frame of the racket. I hate seeing it. Um, But I do feel like Alberto Martin has got the right way of dealing with him and helping him because... How a guy go, and we've seen it with lots and lots of players. Murray's an example. John McEnroe, people who go from being totally different personalities off the court to who they are in the moment. Um, and I, I, whilst again, Rublev is not a player I absolutely love to watch on his own right. I, I'm, I enjoy watching matches he's involved in, but I also hope the best for him. I kind of hope it happens for him increasingly just for him because he seems like such a great bloke off the court he puts in so much effort I mean I think it probably plays too much all the rest of the things that we say about many players but just as a just as a human being I hope that that he keeps having success in the future for him so in conclusion we are two finalists we're very happy for you as people but it doesn't mean anything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I know that they have their fans and um, and that's great. 
but they're not my favourites to watch as tennis players. I just, I, they're just not. Um, but I actually think as blokes, I'd probably like them because they seem like nice fellas. Uh, well, the good news, David, is that we we do have one of your favourites to talk about. Grigor Dimitrov has he did enough in Shanghai to force himself into the agenda. David, oh, if only the listeners could see David's little face right now. Grigor <laughs> Dimitrov has only gone and beaten the famous Carlos Alcaraz and Nicholas Jarry all in one week, uh, and Alexander Vukic and Karen Hashinov uh, ended up losing out in the semi-final stages. Yeah, but to Rublev, yeah. But uh, David, before that, I mean, it's it's classic Dimitrov, isn't it? He was looking, he was looking brilliant until he wasn't. Um, <laughs> but um, but he really, it was, it was, it was lovely for him, wasn't it? Seeing him beat Carlos. I mean, not not lovely to see Carlos Alcaraz lose, but that meant a lot to him. That win, beating Carlos Alcaraz, didn't it? Yeah, I, I think it did. And I think it didn't just in isolation because I think he believes that it's part of the direction that he's going. Yes, he didn't end up winning the title, but you know, he was edged out by a guy playing, as we've said, probably the best tennis we've seen him play. Um, I do think there's a, a bit of a question mark over the way Dimitrov's fading later in matches if it gets really grueling we saw it against Zverev at the US Open where he played brilliantly for a couple of sets and then faded some of these guys seem to be able to outlast him um, when it gets really physical I mean he is 32 now maybe that's becoming a factor but I just feel like if you go back to when he started working with Jamie Delgado and he's working as well with uh, Danny Valverde and they've really got him buying into this use of the slice backhand. He, I don't think I've ever seen Dimitrov look as clear in his mind about what his game is. I think for years, the the variety at his disposal, the abilities he's got, have just ended up confusing him. And he's never really found a way to package it all to, to get the very best out of himself. He's had wonderful moments, semi-finals at, at, the, at several of the Grand Slams, winning the ATP finals. But now... Using that slice, it feels like this safety net, or he can always go back to that and rely on it to keep him in rallies, a bit like Dan Evans does in in his matches, and then use the forehand and use the serve and use the movement to attack with. Um, So I actually think that that's... I, I kind of felt like, at the time, that would probably be an instant win for him six months ago. And Delgado said, this is going to take some time. You know, this is not an overnight thing and I just feel like next year (laughs) Dimitrov might actually be a factor again and beat some top players again um and and maybe even have some results that really surprise you over the next 12 months so vague so vague David (laughs) so deliberately vague well, yeah, because I, I think there are big question marks over the way he fades. And also, obviously, the nerve in the biggest moments, because some players have got more of that and shown more of that than he has. But I think he's doing everything right at the moment. What I would say on on Dimitrov is it always feels like a couple of different ways you can you can judge a player. You can you can judge someone on on who they're beating. 
Like, are they actually able to beat the very, very top players? And I think, I think my answer to that for Dimitrov over the last few years has been has been no. Like, and therefore, you know, that's why he hasn't won a title in what is it six years? Because there's always seems to be someone in the draw who he just can't beat. He doesn't doesn't quite have that very, very top level. But, you know, he, he he had that this week in the way that he beat Carlos Alcaraz. He was absolutely brilliant. So that that did feel like a sort of progression. But what he's what he's not been doing all year, which is really impressive, is he, he's not been taking bad losses at all. Like if you look at all the players he's lost to this year, they're, they're basically just a sort of who's who of the best players in the world, really. And I think that's just given a, a sort of overall picture of a really really healthy form that he's been in. He's been really good all year. He just hasn't quite been able to to sort of elevate. But he, he did elevate in, in Shanghai to beat Alcaraz. And then as you said, and, and and this is this is, you know, not me just just saying this. This is not a bit. It was impressive that he then backed up that win over Alcaraz with the win over Jerry because that was exactly the sort of match where you thought, okay, you've beaten Dimitrov, but you know, can now you now see beat if you Jerry? Can beat Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just a sort of match that I think we all would have expected him to lose, and he was he was brilliant in that. The way he came through it, his his spot serving, his placement on the serve is is fantastic at the moment. That's again feels like something that's that's got a bit better this year. Um, and he and he again he he hasn't taken a bad loss there. He's he's lost to Rublev playing playing really really well. So if he can maintain that consistency that he's found this year. And bring some of the the sparkle that he found against Alcaraz as well. He, I, I, you know, David's David's right. I think he 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 could be very very dangerous this year. I just I just don't trust it to last. I suppose is is probably the feeling I have. Just very quickly on Alcaraz, uh, what do we make of his post U.S. Open? Form. He had that semi-final loss to Yannick Sinner last week or the week before or in, in another era, whenever it was, in uh, in Beijing. Um, he'd, you know, he'd beaten good players before that. He'd beaten Musetti and Kasper Ruud, Yannick Hanfman. Uh, this week in Shanghai, the round of 16 loss to Grigor Dimitrov after beating Gregoire Barrer and Dan Evans in another just glorious match. Alcaraz and Evans matches are so much fun. Um, is Alcaraz just going to be a player that is going to have these kinds of losses? He's a he's a looser, more risk taking player than others, other players at the very very top of the game. Is he going to just be more prone to slightly surprise losses than other? very, very top players, particularly at events that, all due respect to this one, don't mean as much, where you can't find that extra 5% in your in your gut to, to make you put everything on the line. I don't know. My take on this week was actually that maybe he was he was putting a bit too much pressure on himself. He's he, He's been talking about really wanting to get back to world number one and finish the year as world number one. And I think he he saw the tournaments in, in China, Beijing and Shanghai over the last couple of weeks as a as a big opportunity to to make up some ground on, on Novak Djokovic, who's obviously not playing. 
And to me, there seemed to be a slight tightness to him in the last couple of tournaments. And I think that's when he gets error strewn. That's when that's when the unforced errors just pile up and, and he can maybe get in his own head a little bit. I think he was pretty honest about that after losing to to Sinner to say that after after he lost that first set, he just just got a bit stressed and just started going for it in the second set and didn't quite have his game and it all sort of tailed off and ran away from him. And it wasn't quite like that against Dimitrov. It was it was very close, but he just he seemed a bit stressed to me, you know, and I think when he's at his best, he's he's actually he's actually quite relaxed. And I, I don't think we I don't think we quite saw relaxed sort of care, not carefree. That's the wrong word, but just controlled Alcaraz over the last couple of weeks. We've seen him spraying the ball, and I think he does that when he's when he's tight. And I think at the moment, I put this down to he's still as great as he is. He's still learning and he, he's still so young and inexperienced and I'm I'm not that worried about Alcrez at all um I just think it's it's just a sort of natural process that a, a 20 year old even a great one sort of has to go through but it, it, it will be something to to keep an eye on whether he can sort of find a way to to not feel like this on court and and get a little bit more consistent because yes it has been an inconsistent spell since since Wimbledon really I would say that's such a polite way of saying, no, Catherine, it's the exact opposite of what you're suggesting. <laughs> it's only a theory. <laughs> it's a, perv- but it, it's a it, really it, good theory. It's a way it's also, better theory than, than one I I think it's a really you. good question, though, as well, because that is often a, a, a thing for, for players. Um, so I, I, I think just think of it, and I think what I was thinking of is, you know... Not that in his his very, you know, dominant peak, Federer suffered many losses at all, but Federer is just so much of a looser player than Mm. Novak Djokovic, for example. You know, he's got a far worse break point conversion and far worse losing from match point up record than somebody like Novak Djokovic who can just go into lockdown mode. That's, That's just never going to be Alcaraz... Well, he's always the one to point out, isn't he? I think of myself like Roger Federer, and not like Rafael Nadal or um, or Novak Djokovic. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right about the the looseness versus tightness thing, and I, I retract everything that I suggested might be the case <laughs> a few minutes ago. Um, last couple of bits from Shanghai before we move on to the the women's. Um, good to see Ben Shelton um, backing up his. US Open form and reviving the hanging up the phone celebration. Um, big fan, big fan of that continuing to be a thing. Apparently, Andy Murray in an interview last week was asked what his favourite uh, celebration is in the sport, and he said the the hanging up the phone thing that Ben Shelton oh. does. So he's a fan, and I wondered if that was just a very, very subtle dig at Novak Djokovic as well, because he's been doing a few of those, hasn't he? He took a he took a little pop on Instagram at Novak Djokovic. All very gentle stuff. Um, but, yeah, all, all, all in good fun. Yeah, what, what, was um, the, what was that in relation to now? Because I can't quite remember. It was remember in relation this, but... to Djokovic's um, indignancy about um, uh, be, uh, taking body shots, I think. Oh, yes. On on the court to going directly yeah. at the body uh, and yeah. and 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 how 
annoyed he was about Cam Norrie yes, going at him and, that time. Yeah, sort of double, you know, double stab, but you know, suggestion of hypocrisy from from Andy Murray. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> so yeah, good to see. Uh, Shelton producing Grand Slam Shelton in uh, on the tour. Good to see Corder backing up um, his form from the previous weeks. They played a classic, didn't they? Corder beating Shelton 7-6 in the third. Shelton having beaten Sinner in the previous round in three sets. That was all all very good fun. The doubles was won by Marcel Granos and Horatio Zabias. They beat Matt Ebden and Rohan Bapana in the final. Bapana is back in the top five of the doubles rankings, aged 43, and for the first time since October 2013, which, I'll do the maths for you there, is a decade. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. On to the WTA now, which starts in Zhengzhou, uh, where the champion was Zhengxin Wen. She beat Barbora Krojikova 2-6-6-2-6-4 to win her second title of the season. Um, I'm hoping somebody else can talk about the tennis that she played because all I can remember is the karaoke that she performed uh, during the trophy ceremony. That is what is burned in my brain. That is what I'm taking from Zheng Xinwen this week. Uh, before we come on to that, although 
not sure what else there is to say. Uh, the <laughs> tennis, Matt, the tennis. She's very good, isn't she? She is very good. And I think it wasn't that long ago that we were maybe having a few doubts about that, you know, where her her serve was causing her some problems and her forehand technique looked a little bit wonky as well. But I must say in the last two or three months or so, she's she's put together this really impressive run of form. And the last, I mean, the last three players to have beaten her are Sviantek, Sabalenka and Rabakina. You know, it, it's taking the very best players in the world to beat Zheng Xinwen at the moment. Um, she's she's won her last 14 against players ranked lower than her, which is just, you know, a sign of improved consistency, I think. Um, in the final against against Krejcikova, she got off to a slow start and, and, and had to turn it around. And, and that serve, which we've been a bit worried about, really came on strong in, in this match. Ended up with uh, 10 aces, which was pretty pretty impressive. And just some great hitting from from both players in, in, in the final stage of that match. Really, really good win for her. And yeah, I mean, without without wishing to sort of psychoanalyze her, without sort of knowing, I think... A trait of a lot of elite athletes, and we've just mentioned Andy Murray there, is is trying to prove people wrong, or you know, playing with a little bit of a a bit of a chip on your shoulder in, in sort of the best way possible. And I don't think we can ignore the fact that off off the back of you know Wim Fassett leaving her team and going back to work with Naomi Osaka, and how how honest Chung Chin Wen was about how sort of hurtful she found that. Um, she's gone on to win, you know, the second title of her career, the biggest so far. She also just won the Asian Games as well, didn't didn't she? So she's in she's in a really good run of form since sort of since that announcement. And yeah, maybe playing with a little extra motivation, a little more something to prove has has sort of just fired her up a little bit more. And yeah, she was she was very very impressive and 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 has been for a little while now, which is which is good to see because we were very. Very excited about her a year or so ago, and it had been a, you know, a slightly slower start to the season, but uh, she's made big strides, and uh, yeah, just excited to keep keep watching her really. Yeah, my, one of my um, tennis wishes for twenty twenty four is Zhang Xinwen against Naomi Osaka, please at the mm. Australian Open. Oh yes, tell us about this karaoke. Be? Um, she did. She did karaoke during the uh, the trophy ceremony. And David, I'm not talking about a line or two. I'm not talking about uh, who was it? Djokovic in the U.S. Open that did you got to fight for your right to party? I mean, that was too much. Um, <laughs> but it was still just you know a couple of lines. She she. I mean, we got a whole we got a whole song. It was. It was quite something. It was, you know, St. Petersburg energy in terms of bizarreness. <laughs> but I, I loved the um, the uninhibitedness with which she did it. That was really nice to see. I mean, I was having an anxiety attack by proxy just watching her <laughs> do that. But she was fine. Yeah, it it was very strange. I don't I didn't really understand whether whether she was totally being forced into it because they cause she sort of gave her speech in English, then she gave her speech uh in in Chinese and then the music started playing and she was sort of left on the middle of the stage and it was it was almost like a go on then are you going to are you going <laughs> to sing along and and 
to start with she didn't but then she put her flowers down and really really committed to it and it was very uh, much was, if i'm gonna if i'm gonna do this i'm, I'm gonna, gonna do it properly yeah and i yeah, i appreciate that um <laughs> in seoul jessica bagula became the champion there which is um as she told us on on social media a real um life goal achieved for her she won 6263 in the final over Yui Yuan um Jessica Pagula's mum is Korean so Pagula herself half Korean um and as she reminded us in that same social media post after uh, after winning the title um her mum's birth parents left her on a street corner in front of a police station in Korea and she was taken to an orphanage um, before being adopted age five and brought to the USA, which is a heck of a story. And Pagula said that um, when she played that tournament a few years ago before her mum uh, suffered the, the health issues that she struggled with in the last couple of years, um, her mum went and visited that orphanage that she spent the first few years of her life in. It's an extraordinary story and um, I love that Jessica Bagula sort of led us into all of that a little bit and what that title means to her. Um, and, you know, it's good, isn't it? We look from the outside and go, oh, yeah, top five player wins, wins a 250, big whoop, you know, give us a reason to care. And she's she's given us that. And it's um, it's a really nice little story. Yeah, and I, I was glad that she did that too because I, I think at first glance I, I kind of wonder why she'd entered that one uh, as opposed to others. And yeah, I, I do love that, and uh, um, it's it is a lovely story. And um, yeah, she she keeps on coming as well because I mean the the other thing with her is she just delivers so often when when she's supposed to. I, I mean, we still know about the the question marks over whether that will translate into these higher levels, but. Here's a tournament you're supposed you're supposed to win, and she goes and wins it, uh, including with that backstory. That's that's cool. Yeah, really cool. And speaking of cool in Hong Kong, Leila Fernandez won the title, her third career title. She beat Katarina Siniakova in a heck of a final. This wasn't it, Matt? Three six six four six four. One of the matches of the week. The final there. Yeah, just. A real thriller, actually, a real um, making a play for the intensity list, I think, this one, because, yeah, as we often talk about this, this at a time in the calendar is sort of defined by that, that slight feeling of what are we doing here? What does this all mean? And this was this was the perfect <laughs> antidote yeah. to that, because they both just were bringing it. And um, Siniakova started the match with with no legs taped and finished the match with both legs taped um having having a medical timeout in in the second set which i think you know some people were a little bit suspicious of because she was four love down when she took that medical timeout came back with her leg taped and started roaring comeback and blazing winners but there was a incredible 10 minute game that that Fernandez came through and that sort of sealed her that second set and then a really nasty fall actually that Siniakova took in in the third set after being wrong footed and then she ended up with her other leg taped um so it was it was really dramatic they were both sort of breaking each other a lot you really didn't know which way it was going to go and in the end it was 
it was just a reminder of the sort of matches that we just became so used to seeing Leila Fernandez play and win a couple of years ago, a sort of three set thriller. Um, and honestly, she's always been an incredible half volley, hasn't she? Just standing on the baseline, sort of refusing to budge. It feels like she's taken that to new heights. I mean, honestly, the way she was picking the ball up off her toes in this match was extraordinary. And, and Cine Arkova is so inconsistent, but at her best, just an incredible shot maker herself. And it, it, it was just just a real thriller. Um, and yeah, a, a great, great week for for Fernandez, uh, beat Mira Andreva, Linda Fruverteva, a couple of sort of players who were even younger than her. Um, and yeah, her, her first title in a while and, and sort of good, I think, to to see that see that winning feeling be back and uh yeah i'll let i'll let david talk about how how annoyed he was that uh you know as much as he likes ada fernandez she did she did ruin his 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 big prediction there yes david um david had picked me around Draver very confidently uh in his newsletter predictions this week having switched from sebastian corder at the last minute and there was a there was a day on which Corder I think Corder had just beaten he'd beaten somebody good and it, it it felt like a genuine possibility that he could go on and win the title in Shanghai meanwhile Mira Andreva just lost to Leila Fernandez and it looked like it was going to be a truly devastating week for David. You, you, you uh, looked happy in the end, in just that a nor- normal other. level of disappointment. <laughs> um, I was all here for the quarter ending up winning that title. Yes, so, suddenly you became his biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he ju- he just squeezed out Ben Shelton, and then fortunately Hubert Hercatch rode to the rescue. Um, and uh, and but but um, it was I. I I do really believe in Mira and Draver's talent, probably to a to a ridiculous level. Uh, a bit like one or two of the the other players, like Artifice, who I tend to go with regardless of who they're playing. Um, and I was a bit miffed at Leila Fernandez, in all honesty. You know, you've done next to nothing for a year, and then you come and beat the player I've said will win the tournament. I felt rather better after she won the title and reminded us why Pam Shriver regards us as a, as the best show in tennis. Um, and if that's if that's the price I have to pay for Leila Fernandez to be back as a factor on a consistent basis, I'm willing to to pay it. Not that I have any choice I mean, because you, I've now you had won't to give pay him a choice, it. David. Yeah. But sure, that's very magnanimous of you. Well done. <laughs> the, the, that's okay because Fernandez is is worth the points hit. Mm. Uh, this week there are there are all sorts of events happening this week, folks. I'll whiz you through it very quickly. The WTA is in Nanchang. That's a two fifty event. They're all two fifties on the WTA side. Hadad Meyer and Lynette, the top two seeds. They're in Cluj Napoca. Uh Serana Castea and Alicia Parks are the top two seeds, and they're in Monastir. Uh, Cluj Napoca, by the way, is Romania and Monastir in Tunisia. A real blow for them there that uh, Ons Jabur has uh, been forced to withdraw once again uh, with a knee injury. Jasmine Paolini and Elisa Mertens, the top two seeds there. Um, the ATP has a 500 event in Tokyo where we've got uh, Taylor Fritz against Cam Norrie in round one. They've had some some great matches in the past. So that's an interesting one. Draper against Dominor. Draper having qualified. He's been playing challenges Building back up his uh, form, it's good to see. We've got Rude, Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Hubert Hercatch, Felix Auger-Liassime is on court at the moment. 
Ben Shelton in the draw. Alexander Zverev was in the draw, but he's already out, having lost to Jordan Thompson. Uh, we've also got a 250 on the ATP side in Stockholm with Holger Rune and Adrian Manorino as the top two seeds. And in Antwerp, where Stefanos Tsitsipas and Jan Leonard Struff are the top two seeds. Now, we've got some bits and bobs of news items to uh, wrap up that have uh, come to light over the course of the past week. Uh, We want to start with the news that the ATP has confirmed the cancellation of the 2023 Tel Aviv Open. That was scheduled to take place from the 5th to the 11th of November. Um, that's been quite obviously cancelled due to security concerns in the region following the outbreak of the war over there. Um, Andrea Gaudenzi said the violence and acts of terror witnessed in Israel are beyond comprehension. We strongly condemn any form of terrorism and mourn the loss of innocent lives across this conflict. We hope and pray for peace in the region. Um, And I hope it goes without saying that... um, you know, we haven't not mentioned it or not been talking about it because we're not um, very consumed with thoughts um, and deep, deep sympathy and distress about what's going on in that region. It's just because we're a sports podcast, folks, um, and this isn't this isn't the place for it. Um, in fact, it's it's a place of refuge for a lot of people going through going through difficult times. Um, we know we have listeners in that region, um, whether they're able to listen or not at the moment I don't know um, but we are thinking of everybody in the region and affected by what's going on frankly everyone's affected aren't they it's it's hideous and um, it's on our minds and uh, yeah we'll continue to be thinking of everybody um, just to stay with uh tournament news i suppose that's a that's a hideous segue but there we go um cincinnati is staying in cincinnati for at least another 25 years they seem to have gone from um <laughs> uh we might never see tennis in cincinnati again to <laughs> we're going to see tennis in cincinnati uh every every year for the very much foreseeable future um their future was very much hanging in the balance. I had heard that it looked odds on that Cincinnati would move elsewhere. Um, but they've announced this week that they are going to be staying at the Linda Van Blee Tennis Centre in Cincinnati. And they did quite a cool little announcement of that, didn't they? They got their two uh, reigning champions, Coco Goff and um, Novak Djokovic, to do video messages. Um, and I thought thought they did quite well with that. I thought it was quite cool. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought too that it was likely to move to Charlotte because of the the people that own this tournament now, um, Bmot Capital, who who are who have a, a stake in that area. And I think it's great that they're staying in Cincinnati. Personally, uh, just it's an established place on the calendar. It's got a history. It's got support. There's 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 too much really i think of of not making the most of of the historical elements of 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 tennis and this is one of them and um and i i love the fact that it's staying personally we had an exclusive craig tiley player reveal this week uh, 
it, it must be time to sell Australian Open tickets. Yep. <laughs> uh, Craig Diley went on Australian telly and, quote, revealed exclusively, his words, folks, not mine, that Rafael Nadal would be returning for the 2024 Australian Open. Uh, Nadal himself subsequently tweeting in slight clarification uh, without clearly wanting to throw Craig Tiley entirely under the bus. Quote, I appreciate the vote of confidence from the Australian Open. I'm practising every day and working hard to come back ASAP. Um, it's an absolute classic of the genre, isn't it, David? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back and uh, I believe our colleague Stu Fraser of the Times did exactly that to pick out the announcements that Roger Federer, Serena Williams and Andy Murray would all be returning to the tournament in years that very much it was up in the air that they would be able to for various reasons and they ended up subsequently not returning. Um, and in the case of Nadal, I mean... There's no way that Nadal even knows if he's going to be fit to be playing the Australian Open at this stage. He's back on the practice court, yes. He's hopeful that he can get back out on court at some point next year and have this sort of victory lap or swan song or farewell tour of whatever you want to call it. And maybe more. Maybe maybe he's, his body's going to be okay in a, at a degree that he didn't expect. But <laughs> it's just not the case that he's definitely playing the Australian Open. Um, but uh, anyway, I get the point. It's a, it's a, a, an attempt to, to get people excited for the tournament. I personally think it's not necessary. I think people are excited about the tournament. I think that they announced some things that elevate the event again. There was a, something to do with a party court or something like that where they're going to have an, a restaurant or a bar on the on the sides of the the court which sounds I'm amazing into it, david yeah I'm really absolutely into it. and and listen i just craig don't... focus on the party court <laughs> nobody cares about nadal listen i think I, I think craig is a brilliant tournament director in so many ways and he has been for 20 odd years uh, i do think he should stop doing these exclusive reveals of players that <laughs> really are maybe 50 50 at best of playing um but anyway i just feel like it's an amazing tournament that no longer needs to have any imposter syndrome against the other slams whatsoever it is their equal it is in january we absolutely can't wait and i suspect tickets are going to fly regardless mm, i honestly can't wait uh holger runa <laughs> continues to do unexpected things um he potentially maybe might be working with Boris Becker. We're basing this off a photo on social media. Um, he is recently part of company with Patrick Moratoglu. He does have uh, his other coach, Lars something. Lars, anyone know Lars? Is, uh, he, he's only ever called Lars. Everyone just says there's Patrick and there's Lars. Anyway, there's a Lars guy. Um yeah, he, he recently stopped working with Patrick Moratoglu. Um, I thought that was in order to simply focus on working with Lars, but potentially um, Boris Becker is on the scene. Does anyone care to react to that? Wasn't what I expected to see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, in some ways, Matt, I'm not that surprised now that it's happened. Right, yeah. It <laughs> it makes sense that Holger Runa would make 
quite a dramatic coaching choice, uh, which, you know, I think Boris Becker would, would definitely fall into that category, especially at the moment. Uh, they seem to be in in Monte Carlo, Monaco, I think, which is which is where Holger Rune does a lot of his training. Uh, yeah, it's very much a watch this space. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, the first bit of coaching he does is to say, "Stop playing, Holger. You've you've you're injured, and you you need to rest." Um, but who knows? Um, last bit of news from the week. The teams have been announced for the Billie Jean King Cup final. Seven of the world's top 20, including Elena Rabatkina, Marketa Vondrosheva, Karolina Mukovic, Caroline Garcia, Belinda Bencic and Madison Keys. But that is a good lineup. There are great players in there. But there are notable absentees. No Iga Świątek for Poland, again. No Coco Goff or Jessica Begula. For the USA, um, it's such a blow, isn't it? It's not unexpected. It's entirely understandable given the schedule, given tennis's propensity to eat itself, which of which this is a an absolutely classic example. But what are we doing that two of the biggest events in women's tennis are positioned such that the best players cannot realistically compete in both. What are we doing? We know that those players would want to if it were were possible without without potentially putting their, their health and fitness at risk. We know that all those players would want to. This is just one of those bloody hell tennis, what are we doing moments, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I I will not not forget Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula just hitting the wall a year ago, trying to play them both, and just they're playing the doubles as well in WTA finals, just not winning a set. I don't think, and uh, there has to be a, a cut off point for everybody, and there has to be just a common sense element. And I realise that it's the typical. Well, it's not all run by the one body, so. <laughs> And I know there's a lot of other factors and there's the money and there's the China holdout leading to needing more money and where do you put the finals and now Saudi Arabia and all the rest of it. But it just it just makes you despair because these are two great events and they're just ruining each other. Um, I mean, it's the Billie Jean King Cup finals that is coming off worse because it's the second one in the in the in the in the row. But it's just a bummer. Yep, it is a bummer. In not bummer news, though, uh, it is the uh, W100 event in Shrewsbury this week. Note the adjusted pronunciation. I've been corrected far and wide. Um, hang, on, on, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I know, I know, I know, I know. I was, I was trying to sneak that in there. I know. Blame my parents. They've been really? saying it wrong. Okay. For I mean, the locals years. still disagree, apparently. Oh, do they? Okay, that makes me feel a bit better. Yeah, I'm, I'm told oh, So it's by... actually a free-for-all and anything goes. Dave Cortine, who runs the event, who's a listener of ours, tells me that, that people there disagree. Oh, okay, I'll stick with Shrewsbury then. <laughs> so we'll find out. I had out. some ex- <laughs> extremely militant people telling me I'd, I'd, I'd got it wrong. Um, 
Anyway, the event is happening <laughs> this week. Harriet Dart, Victoria Golubich and future Wimbledon champion Eula Niemeyer all in the draw. And I know I say that uh, facetiously, but let's remember that Shrewsbury is famous. This event is famous for incubating future Wimbledon champions because who is their defending champion? Current Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrosheva. Um, so they're all in the field, as are the tennis podcast. We're going to be there on Wednesday. We're going to be doing a live show. Are tickets still available, David? Uh, yes, there are a few. Yeah, not many. <laughs> not not many. Not many, folks. But tickets are available. We'll pop the link in our show notes if you would like to come. Uh, we have a winner of our Billie Jean King Cup competition. The winner is is and they are winning tickets to the Billie Jean King Cup by Gamebridge finals, um, the semi-finals of the finals. That's nice and clear. I've done well there, haven't I? Uh, plus accommodation and flights uh, from an EU or UK airport is, and wait for this name, folks. The winner is Penny Powers. Penny is based in Canada, but spends a lot of time in Europe running flyingmax.com. Uh, and there are all sorts of incredible pictures of Penny paragliding on there. And uh, I've been perusing those pictures this morning and they are, as advertised, incredible pictures. <laughs> Penny says that as she read through our email to say she'd won, she kept saying to her husband, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. He was worried something terrible had happened and made me read it to him without interrupting it with, you won't believe it. Uh, Penny says she discovered us on a 10-hour drive to northern British Columbia where her son was playing ice hockey. These North Americans in their driving. Um, she <laughs> says she needed something other than music to get her through the long drives. The archive has helped her through many a long drive and time in the gym, and her husband often wonders wh what she's giggling about. Her favourite players of the past were Chrissy Everett and Steffi Graf, more recently Arena Sabalenka and Ons Jabeur. And she's hoping that her 85-year-old mum will join her in Seville. How lovely is that? Penny thinks the last time they watched a professional tennis match together was when her mum and dad took the family to watch Vetus Gerulitis against Bernie Mitten in South Africa. Penny says, my poor husband Max is, a, is the backup plan. If my <laughs> mum can't come, Max will join me and will gladly take the spot. He too, though, would love to see my mum and I able to enjoy the tennis together as she was the one who got me into tennis as a young kid. Um... That's so lovely, Penny. Uh, and if you would like to go, um, not necessarily with Penny, but sort of adjacent to Penny, uh, to the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Seville in November, uh, tickets are available now and the link to book is available in the show notes to this podcast. And this podcast has a mascot and it is a returning mascot and it is Mocha. Mocha is a now three-year-old chocolate Labrador. She was born uh, July 2020. This is her third year running as a pet mascot in some form or fashion. And her passion for tennis and tennis balls have only grown with that time. Although she doesn't know it, most of her walks are accompanied by me listening to the pod. Um, and we have a lovely picture of uh, of Mocha here and that will be going in our newsletter. Uh, we love a returning mascot, don't we? And we think we think Mocha is one of two three-peats. 
I think we had another one earlier in the year. I think so And I, too. at the time, yes. posited that they were the only one, but enter Mocha onto <laughs> the scene to say, hey now. Uh, Mocha, you're lovely. Thank you very much to you and to Ryan Riley, your owner. Uh, we have our mascots, of course. David has Maisie. We've discussed how they performed oh, this week. Amazing. I've got Xenia. Uh, I thought I'd play it safe this week and go with Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, Matt has Darwin. Do you go for Nicholas Jarry, Matt? <laughs> no, I didn't, actually. I, I, I went for someone else who lost. <laughs> right. Who, who's that? Uh, mm. uh, Kasat who got absolutely taken apart by Craig Chikova. So my form continues. <laughs> Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Hello to you. They are our top folks and executive producers. And we have shout outs, Matt. Yes. And we start with Sean Bartell, who is in Washington, D.C., but fittingly for this episode, grew up in Cincinnati and said that the best moment of every summer was the Masters event there, which he would attend with his parents and see all the world's best players. Oh, like Mona Bartel. Yes. (laughs) The German player. Yes. Well done, Catherine. Thank you very much. Uh, I once had to approach her and ask her for a press time while she was sobbing into a towel. She was very polite. Uh, Thank you, Sean. Cheers, Sean. We've also got Sophia Binders, who is from Hungary, but living in Munich. Hello, Sophia. Sophia. Like Sophia Kennan. Yeah. Is your name also secretly Sonia? (laughs) Sophia. (laughs) Well, not so secretly. Uh, who can say? Actually, this Sophia's name starts starts with a Z, which I've taken to be silent, but maybe it's Zephyr. <laughs> okay. You've taken it upon yourself to designate that a silent Z. Well, I, I have to do something, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I have to either pronounce it or not pronounce it. <laughs> uh, let us know, Sophia. Thank you for your support. And finally, oh, Zephyr. We, yeah, Thank you for who can say? <laughs> and finally, we've got Courtney Finlayson, who is in Illinois. Hello, Courtney. And Courtney says, while there may not be too many tennis Courtneys, my mum's cousin was the professional player Laura Dupont. She passed away about 20 years ago, but her mother, my mum's aunt, lived until 107 years old. Whoa. <laughs> so cool. So a, like a Antoine Dupont. Dupont. Yes. Is that his He's... name? <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's out. <laughs> right, yeah. He was barely in. Now he's out. He's had a tough year. <sighs> um... Thank you very much, Courtney. Like Courtney Walsh, our yes. Australian colleague and sometime tennis opponent of Matt Roberts. Who, yes, he's a lot better that. than I am. Yeah. The, um, the joke among the media is that whoever plays with Courtney wins because 
he's just better than everyone. He hasn't played me yet. Courtney, <laughs> thank you ever so much. Uh, we'll be back next Monday to talk about everything that has happened in tennis in the intervening period. And one of those things that will have happened is us going to Shrewsbury. I'm returning to the motherland, <laughs> folks. Uh, I've got big plans, Matt, to do a drive-by of the uh, my first ever home Ooh, in Wrighton, Wrighton, Shropshire. It's sort of on the way, so we can drive past Sandy Way. And we'll, and we'll, have, um, and we'll have cameraman Matthew asleep in the back because he's he said he sleeps on road trips. Yeah, he says he, he simply can't avoid sleeping on road trips. <laughs> Matthew, that means you have absolutely no say on what what comes out of the speakers those are the rules um yeah so we'll be in shrewsbury on wednesday do come and join us if you'd like to link to get tickets is in the show notes uh as is the link to get tickets to the billy jean king cup finals all sorts of other fun stuff in there as well and in the newsletter we'll be back on monday 